Welcome to Real Life, the program that talks about the life of real estate in the Hamptons and beyond. The people, the places, and the things that are the pulse and heartbeat of real estate with your host, broker associate of Sotheby's International Realty, John Christopher. Welcome back to Real Life, and this is your host, John Christopher. And today I have with me um, the, one of the top producers west of the canal, Deirdre DeVita. Hey, Deirdre, how are you? I am well. How are you? Oh, it's fantastic. You know, I'm having a wonderful time, especially now that you're on the program. Uh, in another life, you were a ballerina for the Metropolitan Opera. What led you or prompted you to go into real estate besides the glamour? <laughs> Yeah, from one glamour business to another. I um, I got bitten by the bug when I was looking for my first apartment in the city. I, I undertook that search on my own. This was my first apartment to buy. And um, I looked at 120 places before buying my apartment, my little one bedroom. And I got very fascinated by the relative values of the things I was seeing. And um, it took me a while to wrap my head around all of it. But then I was I was like, wow, this is very interesting. And I could see myself being in this business once I stopped dancing. Wow. Yeah, that's a great segue. Right. And uh, well, the thing that uh, you have is a personality that I, a lot of times um, I think that goes a long way. People trust you. They they appreciate you and you're knowledgeable. The other side of the coin is that you you know the market pretty well. Um I've heard about, uh, and you've heard this, this quiet resignation, you know, that uh, is going on. Uh, I'm sure a lot of those people are thinking, why don't I go into real estate? Can't be that hard. Um, what do you, what kind of advice would you give to those people? Yeah, well, first of all, it, you know, it's true. We see this a lot. The, the, the threshold to get into the business is pretty low. You know, you, you, you do 75 hours of uh, training and then you take a couple of tests, a few hundred dollars. And you can be a real estate agent. You have to get someone to hold your license. So I think people see it as an easy thing to pick up in terms of getting, getting started. But once you're started, it takes a while to get traction in the business. And um, I think people don't realize just how long it can take. So I definitely would recommend to anyone looking to succeed to be prepared to persist and keep working toward your goals. And it, it might take some time. Right, right, right. So you don't think real estate is for everyone? <laughs> no, it's certainly not for everyone. I think right. you, the skills that are most valuable in the business are time management skills and um, and persistence, frankly. Communication is right. Yeah, good advice. Now, you know, uh, I can't believe this, uh, but real life has been on the air now for 12 years. Yeah. And you've been on... Yeah, it's it's fabulous, actually. And you've been on for many of those years. So what kind of uh, pro and con changes have you seen uh, in the market over those years? Wow. I can't believe it's been 12 years. Congratulations. That's awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, 12 years. A lot has happened in 12 years. You know, 12 years ago, the Hamptons market was still in recovery, you know, from a pricing standpoint from the recession of 2008. And um, on the west side of the canal in 2014, 
there was a big article that came out of the New York Times that stimulated renewed interest in this area. Um, I'm still doing business from that article. You know, wow. people who had not thought about being west of the canal for um, as their Hamptons home uh, really revisited that. And it was somehow validated by, you know, something as important as the New York Times. Uh, so that was that was a big deal. Uh, we've had, you know, obviously the pandemic was such a game changer. And I think the the changes that came with that are going to linger for a long time. We still have um, close to historically high prices, very low inventory for sale, a lot of unmet buyer demand. Um, we have a lot more people living a hybrid lifestyle where they're spending more time out east, and which I think has really benefited our area. You know, we were economically able to survive the pandemic, not only us real estate folk, but the vendors and service people in, in the area. Um, and people really have taken to the lifestyle, which is which is great. Um, yeah, that is the only thing I can add to that is that the, the cell service has not uh, improved over the years. <laughs> no, indeed. Indeed, it's gotten, it's just the bandwidth is, is not sufficient to support everyone who flows out here once summer's in high season. Right, right, right. Um, you know, many, I'm sorry, go ahead, I'm sorry. You know, I think something else significant is that in terms of rentals, our business has changed a lot. It was already being um, impacted by people using services like Airbnb and VRBO versus going to an agent. Um, ever since, I remember that ever since the recession of 2008, whereas rental terms used to be longer, people would stay Memorial Day through Labor Day or July through Labor Day. All of a sudden, much shorter terms were more than norm, two weeks, a month. Uh, so that business has changed and, and the pandemic changed it again in the sense that many people who were previously tenants ended up buying property. So we lost that number of people in the tenant pool. And now that some of them are traveling or you know organizing their lives in different ways, a lot of them are putting their houses up for rent. So we have more inventory than ever in the rental department and fewer tenants than ever, which is impacting uh, our business a lot. So you're gonna uh, answer, what you're basically uh, doing is answering the question I was going to say, how do you see the rental market this year as compared to last? This is the worst rental market in recent memory, as far as I can see. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, here we are, it's almost, we're, we're mid-June. So uh, this is going to be, you know, people who are counting some, some landlords just, you know, hope to get some money and, and, if not, they'll use their houses. Others really count on that, you know, to help help carry the properties they own. So I don't know. I don't know what is going to happen, but uh, a lot of uh, a lot of landlords got exuberant with their pricing uh, because they had, you know, a few years of pricing upticks and a lot of rental demand. And that is um, that's not working out right now. I, I have tenant clients who are telling me that they're poking around and this is terrible. They're poking around at different properties to see what kind of discounts they can get. And they're, they're having success at that. Yep. What kind of advice uh, would you give to the landlords that haven't rented their homes yet? Well, the same advice 
as always, which is you have to price the property appropriately. You know, look at where you're positioned among your competition and look at numbers you've gotten in the past as a basis for what you could expect now. And then landlords sometimes don't recognize it. It's a job to be a landlord and you need to maintain your property in a professional way. Have it ready, have it clean, have it um, staged appropriately because in each price category, there are the clean, in good condition properties and those tend to go if they're priced right. And then there are a lot that aren't maintained uh, regularly and those can languish if, if they're not presented right. It's so true. It's uh, it's almost like uh, you're selling a house. You, get the house <laughs> you are. You're selling. Itself, you're but... selling a lifestyle for whatever amount of time the folks are there. Right. And you know, it's it's interesting because I've had some uh, clients say, "Well, you know, uh, I rented it easily over uh, with Airbnb, which is becoming more difficult out here." But one of the things I think they lose sight of is that you know, a short-term rental is not the same as say they a month or two months, whatever the case may be. And I think people just, they have enough, there's enough inventory out there now to, uh, because there's more of it. And because of that, they have a choice. They, they see a house that's not uh, well-maintained, like you say, uh, and they see another one, same price, and that's more luxurious. What do you think they'll go for? Yeah. The one thing about the, you know, the Airbnb and VRBO, I encourage, you know, my landlords who want to rent, I I want them to succeed at that. I don't, I'm not going to stand in the way of of them uh, finding other venues to 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 search for um, tenants. But it's important for them to know that each hamlet, you know, in our area has certain rental regulations time restrictions, you know, minimum time in Southampton town, for example, of, of 14 days. And a lot of the Airbnb um, folk who put their, their houses up for rent may not be aware of these things. And it's, it's something that they have to really pay attention to because this is the law and they have a lot of liability if they don't abide it. Right, right, right. How do you think uh, landlords uh, could make tenants feel welcome? Well, I think that, um, you know, <laughs> I think they should plan on having a little bit of a, a um, rocky couple of days when people start. There's always something. There's always a little glitch here or there or an expectation on one side or the other that needs to be resolved. Again, if they think of it as, a, as basically a job, as a business they're running through their property um, and they take that attitude, things things will hopefully go well. But um, it's it's a hospitality um, situation, so they should be prepared to be hospitable and available and um, have things in good shape when their tenants arrive. Yep, yep. Good advice. Again, um, let's talk about the sales market. Uh, are you still encountering uh, bidding wars? Yes, I think every deal I've been involved in so far in 2023 has been a bidding war, and. Um, it's still it's still the case the, they're not as you know, we had bidding wars with many parties, you know, back in in 22 and 21, you know, 16 parties, 24 parties bidding on a place. Um, I think the numbers are lower. Buyers are very weary of 
throwing their hat in the ring. They've been, you know, they've been disappointed sometimes several times uh, by not winning a bidding war. And and they're also unwilling to pay a price that they feel is unreasonable, which is, is smart on their part. Uh, however, there's, you know, in in our current situation where the inventory is so low, pe- other folks are willing to just stretch and get something so they have it now. Right. What do you tell uh, first-time homebuyers coming into the market? What kind of advice do you give them? I tell them to be prepared to act quickly, you know, gather knowledge, look at look at properties until you have a sense of the market and be ready to pounce on something viable for you. Um, if you're if you're going to have a um, mortgage financing as part of your package, you should be pre-approved for that. Uh, and you you should look to submit an offer with the best terms possible from the start. So 20 seconds, what can you tell, give us a prediction of the rest of the market for 2023? I hope that it's going to normalize a little. Uh, I hope that with hopefully the easing of mortgage rates, some sellers will see that it's probably a good time to sell and give us a little more inventory to work with. I don't think, I don't see prices coming down with all the interest that we have, especially now in our high season. So, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm bullish on real estate. So I hope that our property owners succeed at uh, maintaining good prices. Great. Great. How can someone get in touch with you if they have more questions, Deirdre? They can find me at deirdre.devita at sotheby's.realty. Fantastic. Is there a number they can reach you also? Yes. My trusty cell phone, 212-580-3969. Fantastic. Deirdre DeVita, it's it's always a pleasure having you on. This is John Christopher for Real Life, broadcasting here in the vibrant village of Southampton, New York on WLIW 88.3 FM, the only NPR station on Long Island. So please stay where you are since we'll be right back after this short break. Welcome back to Real Life, and this is your host, John Christopher. And today I have Dalita Giorgolo, who is the head of residential offices in Italy. Dalita, how are you today? Hi, John. I'm very well. Finally, it's really hot here in Rome. We had a very rainy spring, which is good, but we are all happy. The season has started. We are full and plenty of tourists, so we are fine. Oh, that's excellent. That is excellent. So before we talk about real estate in Italy, especially Rome, let's talk about you. You've lived in so many cities around the world growing up because of your father being an ambassador. Did you or do you have any favorite city that you really love? So every time I lived in a city, I thought it was the most beautiful city in the world. So um, I have a lot of favorite cities, uh, just to name a few in which I lived in Berlin, in Vienna, even in Turkey. I loved it in the end of the 70s. We were in Poland and then I lived also a year in the U.S. and I loved uh, New York and everything I visited there. So I love everything. You you sound like a a cosmopolitan woman, you know, (laughs) I mean, being all around the world, you've learned, you know, different things, of course. Did you learn a number of languages? Because you're you're very fluent in English. 
So the funny thing is that most people, when they hear me uh, talk in English, they say you have a very German accent. And that's partly true because I learned English in a German school in Berlin and then in a German school in Vienna and then in a German school in Bonn. So, yeah, my first my first language, I would say, even if I'm Italian, is German, then Italian, then English and then French. Excellent. So you got it all covered. Okay. Uh, oh. I'm lucky I speak English, you know, so. but I, I, I'm very appreciative that you can speak so many languages. Um, so after school, did you go right into real estate or did you follow something else? Yes. Uh, well, I, I went to university and I did my bachelor in history. I majored in history and in German literature. And then afterwards, I went into uh, promoting big festivals. So I worked for art and theater festivals in, in Austria and then in Italy. And then I did also some sales in a big brand, um, promoting the brand abroad. And then finally, my last job before real estate was um, I was organizing a choir festival for the Vatican. So all the pilgrims that wanted to sing in one of the most beautiful uh, churches in Rome, they had to go over me. And wow. that was very funny. Yeah, that was real, real fun. And I learned um, to appreciate also the classical sacred music even if I'm very much in love with contemporary music, but you know, it, it broadens your horizon. And then I went to um, luxury um, rental holidays for an English company uh, promoting Italian luxury properties. And then in 2010, finally, I started my real estate career. Wow, that's quite a journey you had. Um... So what led you into real estate? Was there, did you have a mentor or somebody that said, you know, Delita, you would be wonderful if you went into real estate? I, I think I always want to promote beautiful things. And real estate in Italy is such a big thing because, uh, John, just to give you an idea, we are selling sometimes properties that are inside a 2,000-year-old Roman building. So we're promoting a lot of landmark um, history and landmark properties. And maybe also being the daughter of an ambassador, I like to uh, show people my country. And I think real estate is one of the easiest way to get in contact with the international more than the tourists. You know, tourists come and go. People who buy especially foreigners who buy property in Italy, they want to own a piece of history. Uh, they, they are very proud. Buying a property, a historical property in Italy is like owning a, a piece of art. And I think I, I, I really love this. Um, it's not a job. It's not a work. It's like my biggest passion. And promoting Italy is something that really makes me happy. That's wonderful. That is, that's, uh, and I can understand what you're saying. Um, so let's talk about the eternal city, Rome. I understand why Paris is, is called the city of lights, but maybe you could ex explain to me why Rome is the eternal city. Well, as I just said before, we live in 2000 years of history. 
So to give you an idea, the French people, when they come and buy a property in Rome, they tell me, I don't want nothing that is 18th century. Paris is 18th century. We want Baroque. That means they want a building that is at least 16th century. So eternal, um, Rome has been conquered and ruled by a lot of different um, rulers from different countries and cultures. We have the French, the Spanish, actually even the barbarians uh, came to, to Rome. And in 2000 years, we have, you know, the Romans have been seeing people coming and going, but we're still here. And we're still here with all our history and it stays. And someone today told me, Cities in the world, the globalization is making all the cities looking a lot alike, you know, the gentrification. So we were talking about Brussels, London, Paris, and these are cities that are changing much on a much faster pace. Rome is very, 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 um, sometimes I would say lazy. And the Romans have this approach like, why should we change? which sometimes is good, sometimes is bad, but in a way it preserves a lot. So I think people that come to Rome, they have to see it's not a contemporary, I mean, it is contemporary in many things and there are many flaws in Rome, but then it's an open air museum. I mean, today I was passing through the Pantheon. The Pantheon is 2000 years old and you get in for free. You go and pass the forum and you see the, the, the beautiful Roman ruins outside. You even don't have to pay. So Rome is an open air museum. I mean, it's something unbelievable. I think there is no other city um, that you can compare to Rome. Yeah, I, I agree with you totally. Now, you know, London has uh, the Mayfair area and it's considered a uh, high end uh, area of London. Are there comparable areas in Rome like that? Yeah, I would say it's either the historic center, the very historic center, so all around the, the sites, and the Parioli district and everything that goes around the Villa Borghese. Villa Borghese for Rome is like Central Park in New York. So everything that is around Villa Borghese has top prime, is considered a, a prime location, so you have top prices. Another selling point or something that keeps um, a property into the top end tier is views. So if you have views on ruins or on a beautiful Baroque um, church, or if you have a terrace overlooking the historic city, this brings the price up sometimes even 50% more than the same property that doesn't have these features and that is nearby. So definitely... These, I would say, are the two prime locations. Now, is uh, Solaria, is that near uh, the villa, Burgesi? Yes. Yes, even Anke Salario. Is, is that an upcoming, is that an upcoming area, by the way? Yes, it is. In, in a way, it is very requested by families. It is very well organized in respect to Parioli, which is only residential, I would say. So Salario has a lot of good bars, restaurants. Actually, you know, the historic center is getting a little bit crowded by tourists, as everybody knows, because everybody's coming to see the historic center. So 
Romans like to stay close to that area, but in the less crowded places. So Salario is definitely like Parioli, I would say one of the top areas in Rome. Very interesting, very interesting. Um, do agents in Rome collect their commission at the time of, uh, of the contractor that signed as compared to at the time of closing like we do here in the States? Uh, so the the rule would be that you can collect them at the preliminary contract or after the closure of the proposal. Um, I usually tend to tell um, our agent that if an international buyer is a little bit uncertain and they, they want to be sure you give them the guidance until the end, we usually do 50% and 50% at closure. Okay. Okay. Um, so can you give us an overview like uh, of the process of buying a, a residence in Rome? Uh, for example, I come to Rome, I say, I love Rome. I want to buy. And I, I'm going to call um, Delita and ask her, how do I buy some property here in Rome? So the first thing is you have to choose, of course, an agent that speaks your language. This is the first most important thing um, because in translation, if translation gets lost, there are many big problems. That's just to give you an idea, the Italians go ground floor, first floor, and the American, the ground floor in America is the first floor. The ground floor in Italy is the first floor in America. And this has caused some really big confusion. So this is just to give you an idea. It's a different culture. So if you are a buyer, you find the agent that will help you find the property. We usually give all buyers that are approaching the real estate market a little PDF called How to Buy in Italy, which gives you all the procedure. Um, first thing, it's the buyer who chooses the public notary. So the public notary is like the escrow um, lawyer, or uh, I think you call it the escrow lawyer. We, in Italy, to close a deal, to do the title check and everything, you have to go by a state official who is a lawyer with another title, so the public notary. You cannot buy without the public notary signing the deed. So usually the public notary has also to do title check and everything. A good agent though, will do a due diligence of course of the house. He will check that all the authorizations are ready and then that the buyer has its fis the fiscal code. You need a fiscal code to buy a property in Italy. This is something you can get in two days. It's either the agent or the the public notary that gives you this code. And then um, usually if you like a property, you do a binding proposal, which can be subject to due diligence. So only after due diligence has been done, you are buying that you are obliged to pay the to buy the property. You do the proposal with a 5% deposit that can stay in escrow account uh, with the public notary. Then you can do the preliminary contract where you usually leave 30% uh, as a down payment. And then at the final deed, if everything is okay, you do the final payment, the balance. That is interesting and very educational. Um, 
Delita, thank you so much uh, for coming on the program. If someone had some more questions for you, how could they reach you? Well, they can either go on our website, which is italysotheby'sinternationalrealty.com, and they will find me as an agent and as a head of sales. And diletta.giorgolo at sotheby'sinternationalrealty.com. I think it is too difficult to, to spell it out, but please reach out to me over our website. Fantastic. Delita, it's been a pleasure having you on the program. This is John Christopher for Real Life Broadcasting here in the Hamptons on the only NPR station on Long Island. If you have any comments or questions, please email me at john.christopher at sir.com. In the meantime, be sure to have an awesome journey. have been listening to Real Life, the program that talks about the people, the places, and the things that are the pulse and heartbeat of real estate in the Hamptons and beyond with host John Christopher, who also created the music for Real Life. WLIWFM's Delaney Hafner and Kyle Lynch provide production support. Thank you for joining us for Real Life right here on listener-supported 88.3 WLIWFM. Long Island's only NPR station, which you can also find on your favorite streaming apps and at wliw.org radio.